G'day, and welcome to the Fasting Highway Podcast, the podcast that's all about intermittent fasting. I'm your host, Graham Curry from Perth, Australia. I lost 60 kilograms or 132 pounds living an intermittent fasting lifestyle and have successfully maintained that weight loss. I'm also the author of the Amazon category best-selling book, The Fasting Highway, which will give you a great insight into what it's actually like to live it day to day, how to get started, what it's about, what are some of the health benefits that come from it, and how to turn it into a successful long-term lifestyle. In this series of podcasts, you'll be hearing from people from all over the world, from the beginners to the experienced and those that are on the journey. You'll also be hearing from some leaders in the intermittent fasting community, and you'll also be hearing from some past guests as we recheck in to see how they've been going. And thank you for joining us here on the Fasting Highway. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone. Thanks for those that have been booking in with me for the private one-on-one coaching. It's been very uplifting and it's been so great to help so many people in such a short space of time. If you do want to get some one-on-one coaching and some advice from me, you're just struggling a bit or you might want to get going or you might have a few issues in maintenance, come and have a chat to me. You can do that in private by going to the website www.thefastinghighway.com. Click on Coaching Get Help and book a time with me. All times you see will be in your local time zone and irrelevant charges there. That's www.thefastinghighway.com to book in for the private one-on-one coaching with me. Okay, folks, let's get on with today's podcast. G'day, and welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast, and this is episode 158. And just before we get started today, I just wanted to give the members of the Fasting Highway Facebook group a big thank you, and thank you for a fantastic year in 2022. We started 2023 well with everybody coming in and getting back on track after the Christmas break. Lots of you members joining. So if you want to come and get some accountability and support, come and join us there at the Fasting Highway Facebook community. Also, folks, uh, thank you to all those people who have been buying my book, uh, The Fasting Highway, uh, which is on Amazon and both paperback and Kindle, the story of my own journey around overcoming sugar and fast food addiction, and also my journey with intermittent fasting and how I lost 132 pounds and 60 kilos and have maintained that now for some nearly four years. So you'll find that in Amazon in my book, The Fasting Highway. Okay, folks, let's get started today. And I'm going to be speaking with Leslie Taylor. And Leslie is from North Dakota in the United States of America. And she's a stay-at-home mum and grandma and has worked as a medical website content developer. And she enjoys taking complicated medical information and presenting it in a creative and easy-to-understand manner for the general public. And Leslie was a healthy weight until her 30s when a stressful cross-country move caused her to suddenly gain 25 pounds or 11 kilos. This is when her dieting history began. And she's here to tell us all about that and her journey with intermittent fasting. Welcome, the very inspiring Leslie Taylor. Oh, g'day, Leslie, and welcome to the Fasting Highway. And thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. Absolutely delighted that you're here, Leslie, and for people around the world in some 59 countries listening to the podcast today, if you wouldn't mind sharing a bit of your backstory and any problems you had with health or weight in your life and that sort of thing, and how you found your way to intermittent fasting in the first place. Sure, I would love to. I love talking about intermittent fasting and health, so this is just a lot of fun for me. 
So I am 45 years old and my husband, Chris and I have been married for 26 years. So we have five kids. Our three oldest kids are married and we have two high schoolers still living at home. And we have four wonderful, wonderful grandkids with more on the way. And everybody lives nearby. So we feel very blessed. So just a bit of backstory on my health and weight and stuff. I was a normal kid, um, normal weight as a kid and into my thirties. And even after I had my five kids, I just gained a normal, like maybe 35 pounds or so, and then returned to normal weight. Um, just for context, I'm five foot six, which is 168 centimeters. And I weighed between 120 to 130 pounds, which is between 55 to 60 kilograms um, through my early thirties. And that was just a good size for me. But then in 2010, when I was 33 and done having my kids, I suddenly gained 25 pounds or 11 kilograms seemingly out of nowhere in only six months. And then this is where my diet history began. So at the time I thought maybe it was just age, but years later, when I was looking back at Facebook memories, I saw a picture of me right before we made a stressful move across the country for a new job. But it's just funny because at the time I didn't realize how sudden it was and what had caused the weight gain. So we had lived in the same town with my parents, siblings, and close friends. So when that community was suddenly taken away, I just kind of turned to food for comfort and to cope. But I didn't really know I was doing that at the time. And it turns out that I used to be quite an emotional comfort eater. Um, and I have sort of a small frame. So there's a big difference in how I look between 130 and 155. And I don't carry my weight very well. So I kind of looked like a puff ball and just felt kind of sluggish and uncomfortable. Um, but there's one thing that's interesting about st stress weight gain. And that is that um, for me, at least when after the situ stressful situation is over, I don't go back down. So like after we had made friends and settled into living in this new part of the country, my weight did not go back down and I was kind of stuck at the new high weight. Um, and then after a couple of years at this new high weight, I joined Weight Watchers and I was able through very hard work to get down to 135. However, I was just kind of miserable and grumpy all the time, which is weird because that had previously been a good weight for me. So I think all this is interesting because it shows that like comfort eating of sugar and carbs actually altered something in my body. And sometimes we talk about a set weight, like in abstract terms, without really understanding that there's a physical mechanism behind a set weight. And my theory is that because I turned to sugar and processed foods for comfort, I pretty much altered my gut microbiome to crave those things. And I'm like a big science and science reader and researcher. So I've been reading a lot about the gut microbiome. And one thing that's interesting is that you have these sugar loving bacteria that can live in your gut and actually send signals to your brain to eat more sugar when they're not getting the sugar they need. So those are pretty, pretty powerful signals. The gut microbiome actually outnumbers our own cells. So anyway, each time I did Weight Watchers or a count the calories type of diet, I'd eventually get burned out and um, I would re regain the weight up to a new high weight. And then the the end result was uh, worse than if I'd never gone on a diet. So um, I yo-yoed several times, like many people. 
And here's a really important part of my story is that I got this idea into my head that I kind of had two choices of how to live. I could either be one like overweight, but also happy, relaxed, carefree, enjoying food, enjoying life, or I could be thin, but miserable, obsessively counting calories, hung, hungry all the time, making different food for myself than the rest of the family and exercising excessively. And what happened each time I lost weight, whether it was Weight Watchers, jogging, whatever, is that I could never end up sticking with it long-term because being thin ended up not being worth the misery of dieting. And it's not that those diets didn't work in the short term, it's that you couldn't stick with them. Um, and then finally, lastly, I found keto in 2017. And for a few months, I thought that was my answer. Um, but I eventually fell off the keto wagon for two reasons. And the first was that I lost a little weight and then completely stopped. And then number two was the, just the difficulty of the keto diet. So I just think for every diet, we think intuitively in terms of a cost benefit analysis. So for keto, the cost is really high because of how restrictive it is and how I couldn't eat what my family was eating. It's difficult to have people over or go to others' houses. It's time consuming counting carbs on your phone. But as far as benefits, it was like I lost the four pounds of water weight that you lose whenever you reduce carbs. And then maybe only like eight pounds or four kilograms on top of that for 12 total. Um, and by this time I had rebounded up to like the one sixties or 73 kilograms. So I needed to lose 30 or more. So I wasn't thrilled with, you know, a super restrictive diet that I had plateaued on. And sometimes I would see that in the face group, Facebook groups too, that, um, I was in, in a number of keto Facebook groups at the time. And a lot of people who were, you know, their start weight was a bit higher and they needed to lose, you know, hundred pounds. It was really good for like maybe the first 50, but it was harder for the last 50 pounds. Um, but then, um, the last part of my story is that right about the time I was getting burned out on keto, we went through a really serious financial hardship with my husband losing his job. And I was super stressed and I've already mentioned that sugar and carbs were a huge comfort to me. And I like to eat my feelings. <laughs> so, um, I fell off the keto wagon really hard and I gained up to, I got up to 180 pounds, which is 50 above my ideal, which is, I was now, you know, 50% more than I had weighed in my twenties. If I had weighed 120 in my twenties, half of that is 60. I now weighed 60 pounds more. So it was a lot for my frame and I just didn't feel very healthy. Yeah. So for a small frame person, I mean, that's quite a bit of weight to carry obviously and um, let's just strip that right back then into when you first started and just we'll just get into how you actually found your pathway from where we're just talking about into intermittent fasting itself now i found out about if from my younger sister robin who's always been way ahead of me on health and wellness knowledge and i had actually heard about keto for or for intermittent fasting excuse me for several years but i just kind of needed a wake-up call to get serious about practicing it. So what happened was that my dad actually passed away a year ago from heart complications from type two diabetes. And the reason why this was such a wake up call is that my own blood work was suddenly registering as pre-diabetic. And the thing about if you have a genetic predisposition to diabetes is that you don't have to be a hundred pounds overweight 
to get diabetes if you're predisposed. In fact, my dad was only about 30 pounds overweight. Um, so in 2017, my sister actually told him about Dr. Jason Fung and my dad read the diabetes code and began fasting and he lost the 30 pounds and he reversed all the signs of his disease and his doctor took him off of his medications. But, um, one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about talking to people about fasting is because even though my dad reversed his diabetes, there was permanent damage done to his body from the 30 years prior of diabetes when he didn't know about fasting. And it makes me sad to think that if he had had the correct information earlier before permanent damage was done, he would have followed it. And the reason why I know he would have followed it is because as soon as he knew what he needed to do, he did it. And it makes me think how many other people are out there who simply don't have the right information. Um, and one thing that's interesting about Dr. Fung's book, The Diabetes Code, which I recently read, is that he says that if your diabetes is controlled by medication, but it's not reversed, it continues to damage your body, even when your blood work appears to have been improved, which is what happened for my dad. So for 30 years, he was under the care of a doctor and being given medications and his diabetes appeared to be controlled. But meanwhile, he developed heart disease, atherosclerosis, which is the narrowing and hardening of the arteries. Um, the arteries in his legs became clogged. He had diabetic ulcers. He had painful neuropathy. He had a toe amputated. And at the end, he needed to have his leg amputated from a knee down, but his heart wasn't strong enough to survive the surgery. So all this time that his body was being severely damaged, his doctor was telling him that his diabetes was under control. So um, Dr. Fung said that you can go to the doctor and they'll give you prescriptions and you'll think it's under control and your blood sugars will even come down. But because your insulin remains high, the body continues to be damaged. And that was just exactly what happened to my dad. And at this time, I could have told myself a little story and said to myself, you're not morbidly obese. You're not over 200 pounds. You're not plus size. You're not you're not in danger, but I don't think that would have been true. So I just had this wake up call where I said to myself, I am my dad. And even though I'm not morbidly obese as he wasn't, I am overweight enough that all this damage is beginning because I'm the age my dad was when he was diagnosed. So um, I just want to read one quote from the diabetes code for our listeners. That was really a wake up call on page 23. He says that the damage can begin in your body up to seven years before the diabetes itself is diagnosed. And that's why he recommends getting the fasting insulin serum test done. Cause by the time your blood sugar shows up high, your body has been fighting the disease for years and has given up, but you can test your insulin as an earlier indicator. Uh, you cannot test it from home. Like you can, like with your blood glucose and ketones, you have to go to your doctor. I recently had mine done and my doctor had never heard about doing it for these purposes, but she was nice when I explained the reason and she ordered the test and my insulin came back in A plus, like the lowest it can be, it was 4.1 and anything below five is super. So that was really motivating to me that I'm doing something right, but I have no idea what it was before I started fasting because I didn't know how to ask for the test or I didn't know to ask for the test. So anyone who's starting fasting, you might want to ask for your fasting insulin serum just because it's a great motivator 
to see that getting down. But yeah, so when I watched what happened to my dad, I knew I had to change and fasting was the thing I decided to do. Fantastic. And just we'll pause for a minute and we'll honor the memory of your dad. I'm really sorry that you lost him. I'm sure he was a great man and he's super proud of you and everything that you're doing and your passion and sharing your health journey to help others. And I think that information you just talked about there certainly will help others. And I encourage people too, if they're concerned about it, to go and speak to your doctor. And, you know, we're not doctors. We're just two people talking here on the podcast and uh, make sure that you go and get the right information out there. But let's strip that back a bit now in your backstory. You know, you had a lot of catalysts there and you sort of put on that weight after your children. All of a sudden you found yourself 50% higher than what you were when you were at school. I mean, you talked about you were 120 pounds. Next thing you're 180 after all this happened. And on yeah. a small frame, that's a lot of weight. And obviously then you had that hardship, the financial hardship with your husband losing his job and everything like that. The stress the last couple of years, we've all been through this pandemic, more stress. So I take my hat off to you for what you've achieved so far. But let's just talk about when you started intermittent fasting. What was your protocol and why did you choose that? Well, this part of my story, Graham, is actually really strange, and it might come as a shock to a lot of listeners, but my dad did OMAD when he finally reversed his diabetes. So of course I decided I was going to do OMAD. So from January through July of last year, so for six months straight, I did really, really strict OMAD. And so are you ready to hear how much I lost? Drum roll, please. I actually lost zero pounds after six months of doing OMAD and also zero inches. So no body recomposition was happening. And I was doing 20 to 21 hours of fasting every day. And I was really strict. Um, and sometimes people will comment on my story on Facebook and they'll say, how did you fast for 21 hours a day and not lose weight? And I just say, oh, I guess it's my secret superpower. It's pretty unbelievable. But one explanation that I've heard is that the liver can store up to 24 hours worth of glycogen, which is another word for listeners, just of blood sugar. So it's possible for some people to eat enough in their window to completely refill their liver glycogen each day. So they never tap into their fat stores. And I've always been a big, big eater with a near bottomless stomach, which is why I call it my superpower. <laughs> so that's probably how I manage that feat. But um, during this time, I was listening to Jen Stevens podcast, the intermittent fasting stories, and I was taking notes and I had written down that she has episode 26 is Amy Garrison, who also didn't lose any weight on OMAD, but she switched to ADF and she lost the, rate, the weight right away. So I went back and I re-listened to that podcast. And then also at the same time, I found another podcast named The Fasting Method. It's by Megan Ramos, who is Dr. Funk's coworker. And she tells her story in episode six of being diagnosed with type two diabetes in her 20s and how Dr. Fung worked with her to completely reverse diabetes. And this was 11 years ago. So she was actually one of his very first patients, but she lost 60 pounds in six months and she's kept it off for 11 years and she did alternate day fasting. And Megan said something so interesting that completely changed my whole mindset. She said that she thought of her fasting days, which were Monday, Wednesday, Friday as medical treatments. And she said, if you had cancer, would you skip your chemotherapy treatments just because you didn't feel like doing it or some kids were going out for lunch or 
No, you would prioritize your treatments above everything else in your life. And that's how she thought of fasting. And so she fasted on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, faithfully, because they were her medical treatments that would save her life. And she at the time was working with patients who had kidney failure, many of them from diabetes. So she had a front row seat to how damaging it is to the body. And that gave her the motivation she needed to do alternate day fasting. So as soon as I heard that, I was all in. So I started alternate day fasting on August 1st of 2022. And I started doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And after losing zero weight on OMAD, I lost seven pounds of, (laughs) or three kilograms in the very first week of ADF. So this is such a crazy amount that it couldn't possibly be fat loss. It just shows how inflamed I was and how much water I was retaining. So by the end of the first month, I'd actually lost 17 pounds or seven kilograms, which is more, way more than I lost like the entire time I did keto, just to put that in the context. And then to date, I've now lost 34 pounds or 15 kilograms, and then just hoping to lose a little more. So just to remind listeners, my start weight was 180 pounds or 81 kilograms. And my current weight is 146 pounds or 66 kilograms. And my goal is 130 pounds or 59 kilograms. But honestly, if I don't lose any more weight, I am perfectly happy here because the body recomposition has happened really fast. And I'm a lot smaller at this weight than other times when I've weighed this much, if that makes sense. Um, People constantly comment on my before and after pictures that it looks like I've lost more than 34 pounds. And I feel like that too. But um, weight is only a small portion of the story. The real story for me is in the non-scale victories. So, um, and I just want to add real quick, I don't mean to sound like I'm the apostle of ADF only people should really do the least amount of fasting that they need to, to reach their goals. So if you're good with 16, eight, if that's giving you good results, keep doing that. For example, my husband, he only does 16, eight, and that's probably all he never needs to do. Um, some people need to do more fasting, but not everybody does. But um, just for anyone who does decide to do ADF, I definitely recommend that you work up to it. Um, Don't just jump right in. But yeah, I just feel so much better um, now that I'm now that I've lost that extra weight. And one of the things really is just the appetite correction. For some reason, when I was doing OMAD, I didn't have the appetite correction and I didn't have that craving for healthier foods. But as soon as I switched to ADF, all of a sudden I was not able to eat very much at meals anymore. And I no longer was craving the um, junk food. So the sugar addiction really started to wane and I started to have a lot more energy and I could also feel ketosis kicking in. And by the way, I never got into ketosis with OMAD. I have one of those keto mojos from my fasting days. So I could, you know, just measure my ketones from, from time to time. But, um, yeah, one thing that was really interesting was when I all of a sudden started to feel amazing on ADF, it kind of blew my old paradigm that I used to have, that there were kind of two choices of you could either be chubby and happy, or you could be thin and miserable. And for the first time I was actually happy, feeling good, losing weight, feasting with my family, not spending hours a day exercising, not having to count calories on my phone, not feeling deprived. So, you know, I was just healthier, slimming down, happy. I'd never felt like that in a diet before. And 
you know, I think we intuitively think in terms of a cost benefit analysis. Um, I mentioned that ADF wasn't my first choice of protocol because let's face it, it's nice to eat every day, but the benefits were so incredible that they outweighed the cost. Um, so yeah, one thing that's pretty important to our family is just sh sharing meals with family and friends. And I have three young married children who all live nearby and um, we like to get together on Saturday nights and have all the grandkids over and we feast together. And here I am, I'm allowed to feast on all the different kinds of foods, allowed to eat whatever as much as I want, still stay out of diabetes because of fasting. And I can go out to lunch with friends, which I can do on OMAD. So yeah, there's just been a lot of benefits. Yeah, that's great. And I think it's really important, as you stress there, that it has to suit the individual, doesn't it? You have to find your own niche with intermittent fasting, whether that may be 16, 8, 23 and 1, whatever it may be, OMAD, TMAD, ADF, EF, extended fasting. But for me personally, I like to eat every day. So OMAD's always been good for me and it's worked for me. And it, I, I found that I never had to fast more than that. But at the end of the day, I mean, you trialed that for six months and it wasn't working for you. So you decided that you needed a change. But I just wanted to talk about that six-month period where you didn't see any weight loss, you didn't see any recomposition, you didn't see anything, zero. Let's just talk about that. So let's tick up the boxes here. So you were clean fasting, you were eating pretty well in your eating window, that sort of thing, but nothing was happening. Um, you were exercising. How, how did that work? And was it frustrating? I imagine after six months, if that was me and nothing had changed, I would have got pretty frustrated with it. Yeah, I was frustrated. And part of the reason I was so frustrated is what I wasn't experiencing a lot of the non-scale victories that a lot of people were mentioning. And one of them in particular is just craving healthier foods. And I wonder if that's just because I wasn't getting into that fat burning mode where my body was relying on fat for fuel. I was just eating so many carbs in my window that I was filling up my liver glycogen and I was still living off of carbs. It's just that I was doing it in a smaller amount of time. It really took that extra 36 hours of fasting. That's the extra 12 hours that meant now my liver glycogen stores were depleted. Now my body was forced to learn how to burn its own fat. And all of a sudden appetite correction kicked in all of a sudden the craving for um, bad foods just completely went away, which has never happened to me in my life. Um, and I wonder if part of it is I was talking about the microbiome where we have those bacteria that just live in there that feed off of um, sugar and they can send chemical signals asking for sugar. If a lot of those started to die off with a longer fast. So yeah, it was a pretty big change. Yeah, I think there's a few things you got to examine there. I mean, if you really go back and you stretch into the truth machine here and you look back at your eating window when you first started and you talked about the carbs and maybe you might have had that mindset, I can eat whatever I want, which is what a lot of fasters think. And there's two sort of thoughts to that. And I've talked about that with Jen Stevens on a couple of the podcasts that she's been on my show here. And that's a bit of a myth, really, because for most people, you can't. Let's face it. We all have our trigger foods. For me, it's bread, it's pasta, that sort of thing. And if I'd have eaten a lot of that stuff, there's no way I would have lost any weight because as you said, even in a short period of time, you could still eat enough to fill up those stores and go past that and then have a lot of work to do. But yeah, it's interesting. You didn't see any results at all in that first six months, but 
let's get to ADF now. I mean, a lot of people listening to this show around the world, they'll be hearing us talking riddles about ADF and OMAD and all these acronyms and that. So for people out there, if you wouldn't mind, Leslie, just explain to them what ADF is and what was the protocol you did. Were you doing the 500 calorie option? Or were you just doing the up day, down day sort of thing? Well, I actually planned on doing the 500 calorie option, but every time I planned on doing it, I would blow past the 500 calories. And so it ended up being OMAD. And I've already said OMAD wasn't successful for me. So when I really decided to try ADF, I realized that it's easier for me to eat zero calories than it is for me to eat 500. And I think that goes back to me just knowing that I'm a volume eater. And when I start to eat, I like to eat a lot of food. So I've always done the zero calorie. Um, I fast on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, that's called the four, three. Some people would do like the true alternate day, meaning you would fast on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Tuesday, and so on. I like the Monday, Wednesday, Friday for a couple of different reasons. One reason is that I know two weeks out, if friends say, what day can you go out to lunch? I know I can say, I can go out on Tuesday and Thursday. Like I always know, I don't have to try to figure out, is this my week to fast on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or is this my week to fast on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday? So that's always set. Um, another thing I like about Monday, Wednesday, Friday is that I really like eating both Saturday and Sunday. And part of the reason is I feel like it's good to have two up days in a row, both for the metabolism and also just for the psyche, because by the time I get to Sunday evening, I am ready to fast again. Cause I'm like, I have eaten for two days in a row. I've had too much food. I'm just ready to fast. And I've had great results doing the four, three. So I, I never felt the need to do any more than that, but yeah. So let's just talk about that protocol that you're doing, the sort of four and three sort of thing. When you're doing those two days on the weekends, how does that work? Do you get up in the morning and you have breakfast pretty early, then you have lunch, then you have dinner, or, or is it just you still eat a bit later in the day? Or how and do you do snacks through the day as well on those two days? Well, on all of my eating days, so Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, I only do two meals a day. And the reason for that is because of the crazy, crazy appetite correction that I've had since starting ADF, I cannot fit three meals into my stomach. I just can't do it. So, um, I usually tend to eat about 11 in the morning will be my first meal. And I wait that long only because I'm not hungry. And the strange thing is that I'm more hungry when I wake up in the morning, when I've just eaten the night before than I am after I fasted for 36 hours. And I think it's just my body's deep into that fat burning mode. So I really wait till about 11 PM. I eat a meal. I always eat protein first. And then I eat another meal about 6 PM. I don't, I try not to snack in between. Um, mostly the reason is because if I do snack in between at three o'clock, then I can't eat dinner. And I really like being hungry at dinner and I like enjoying my actual meals. So I don't snack because I don't have enough room <laughs> in my stomach anymore to snack, which is funny because I used to eat continuously all day long. So that's really changed, but yeah, I do two meals a day on Saturday, two meals a day on Sunday, two meals a day on Tuesday, two meals a day on Thursday. So, yeah. Okay. And then also with the sort of um, down days, are you just doing the strictly clean fast that we talk about, or are you adding anything in like bone broth or anything like that, or you just do the clean fast for that? 
I am a really strict clean faster. And part of the reason is because I'm really sensitive to flavors. I don't even like to have black coffee. I do have it sometimes if I'm out with friends and everybody's drinking something, I will drink a black coffee and I will occasionally drink a black tea, but I really feel my best with salt water <laughs> to drink. And in the winter, since, you know, in the Northern hemisphere, it's winter here. Um, I'm microwaving a cup of hot water and I'm sprinkling some salt in it. And that's all I'm having on my fast days. Yeah. Good to hear. I'm really yep. glad that you're doing that. It's fantastic. But have you found over time too? I mean, obviously when people sometimes start something like intermittent fasting, they think, oh, this is great. You know, I can eat all this stuff and all that sort of thing. Have you found that's changed for you and your eating style? Are you craving high quality stuff or nothing's changed in that department? My tastes have changed so much. So, so, so much. I used to be an absolute sugar crazy person. Like I could just eat sugar. Like if I popped one M&M in my mouth, I would just like keep eating M&Ms until the entire bag was gone. Um, but that has changed. And I think a part of it might be that you get so hungry when you're doing a 36 or a 40 hour fast that your body is asking for protein and your body is asking for vegetables. And I really make sure that I break my fast with something healthy. So a lot of times I'll wake up the digestive system with a little nibbles of food, because after you fasted for that amount of time, your stomach slows down its production of stomach acid, because there's nothing in there for it to be, you know, digesting. So it's not going to produce tons of stomach acid. So you have to kind of nibble a little bit to wake it up and get the juices flowing. So I'll kind of sip on bone broth for maybe a half hour. And then I've come up with the principle that I eat protein first. And, um, I really enjoy Ted Naiman, Dr. Ted Naiman, who's on YouTube and he has some videos on the protein hypothesis, uh, protein, I'm forgetting the name of the video right now, but, um, basically what he talks about is your body will continue to signal you to eat until you reach the protein threshold that you need. But if you eat protein first, and then maybe fill in a few carbs, you're going to get full a lot quicker. So I eat a lot of eggs, um, I eat a lot of meat, uh, fish, um, things like that. And then of course some vegetables, but I just don't feel like eating carbs anymore. Um, one time pretty early on in my journey, I think I had been fasting for about two weeks, um, doing, sorry, intermittent doing ADF now for about two weeks. I had broken my fast at about 12 o'clock and I hadn't had much protein at all. So I went into the kitchen about two o'clock and I felt so hungry I felt like I could eat like a giant container of ice cream and like 12 cookies and just that kind of hunger that you feel like you could just binge eat. So I told myself I have to eat protein first. So I went into the fridge and I warmed up a leftover steak that I had. And I also warmed up some mashed potatoes and I ate the steak. And by the end, I was so full that I ended up throwing away the mashed potatoes that I had reheated because I didn't even want them and not eating a single thing of sugar, like not one thing of sugar sounded good. And so that was just like a huge light bulb moment for me where I was like, okay, this protein first thing actually works. And it's, it's quite amazing because if you think about it, food is supposed to satisfy us. You're supposed to walk away from a meal feeling like, ah, I'm, I'm full. I'm satisfied. I can't, I have what I came to get. And so often sugar does the exact opposite to you in junk food and fast food 
Whereas sugar, the more I ate, the more I wanted, and I never walked away feeling satisfied. So that's been one of the greatest non-scale victories for me is that I just feel satisfied after my meals instead of wanting to keep on eating. Yeah. So it sounds like it'd be fair to say that when you did the OMAD for six months, your eating window was quite different because back then you were probably worse sort of more in tune with sugar and carbs and that sort of thing, and maybe some fast food. And now you've come to ADF, you started to appreciate food more because you do that fasting. You think to yourself, well, hey, if I fasted for a day, I want to make sure I'm going to eat pretty good quality food. When I do eat that protein first, I think it's a great idea. And I think, you know, you really come in tune with your body after a while. And I like to say, I eat what makes me feel my greatest, not what my mind wants. Because what my mind wants and what's going to make me feel great are two very different things. And I think that's a really important message, but also about ADF. And one of the reasons I don't do it is because, as I said, I like to eat every day. But the other thing is I couldn't do the 500 calorie option like you, because the problem with that is that I feel like if I ate 500 calories, I'd want to keep eating for the rest of the day. That that would be the issue there. And then the issue with the down day up day for me personally would be that I would get so hungry over that time. I think that, you know, I would find that hard as well. But I know more experienced ADFers, they go through that and they get out the other side. But I also want you to sort of explain to people out there that there's got to be right reasons and wrong reasons to do ADF. And we had a very good example of that in episode six of the podcast with Rachel Awad from Cairo there in Egypt. And she talked about that. And one of the wrong reasons I always tell people is don't revenge fast. Don't have a weekend where you go out and have pizza and enjoy yourself with your friends and then beat yourself up and say, I'm going to do a 45-hour fast and start doing ADF. There has to be a right and a wrong reason to do it, doesn't there? Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I also think that I wonder if my need for ADF had to do with the fact that I do have that propensity to type 2 diabetes, which runs in my family, and that I needed the longer time for my insulin to fall. So yeah, I definitely don't think revenge fasting is a good idea because if you've just been carb binging, you're going to be miserable on your 36 hour fast. Um, But if you're, if you're fat adapted, you're going to feel really, really great. So yeah, you definitely don't want to do any of that revenge fasting. That sounds like a terrible idea. And what will happen is that you'll get so hungry that you'll then binge and then you'll have just like a binge purge cycle. So yeah, that's never a good idea. Yeah, I think it's really interesting too, you know, for people out there that do ADF and they do get sometimes different results, but quite often they'll do it and then they'll find it really hard for that very reason. Like you said, they'll struggle and they'll go back to doing OMAD again. So is ADF something that you're just going to do all the time or are you going to, which just sound to me like a person that likes to experiment and try different things and you really delve into the science. So is there anything else that you felt like you find you, you found your groove now and you're happy with what you're doing? Well, I think that I'm going to stick with ADF until I get down to my goal weight, which I mentioned was 130. And then I'll probably transition to a daily eating window but I will always keep the possibility open of doing maybe one zero calorie down day a week. If I feel like I need to, like, if I feel like I'm starting to get, um, less of that appetite control, or maybe just too interested in sugar or, you know, just always keep that possibility open. But yeah, I, I definitely think for maintenance, I plan on switching to a daily eating window And I'm not afraid of regaining. In fact, people always ask me that. They're like, 
well, you, you're not going to do ADF for the rest of your life. So how are you not going to just regain all the way back? And I think the answer to that is that I've changed. Like, for instance, I took 10 days off between Christmas and New Year's um, and a little after and before, which I planned to do. That wasn't me, you know, falling off the horse. I just decided I'm not going to do ADF for this amount of time when I was visiting family. And I didn't gain any weight during that time. And I just started ADF as soon as I got back on. So I'm not real worried about gaining weight, going back to an, um, a daily eating window because it, my whole entire body, my mindset, my hunger, my appetite has changed. Um, whereas that hadn't happened the first time I did OMAD, but now I'm a different person. And now I think I can do OMAD for maintenance. So, yeah, that makes sense. And I think that's a pretty good plan actually. And I think, you know, the benefits of having a down day is certainly there and the science is there and, and sort of examples that we're seeing. But like I said, for me, just the thought of it, I just just don't want to do it. And, you know, I think sometime down the track, I may do it. But every time I think about it, one of the things I really enjoy daily is eating with my wife when she gets home from work. And as we chat and we have dinner and sometimes we sit out in the deck if the weather's good here, which most of the time it is. And so that's a really fun time for us. And um, I really miss that because... I was going to ask you that question about, you know, we often talk about the positives of IF and the successes and everything else. But for me, the real struggle starting an intermittent fasting lifestyle wasn't the actual feasting or the fasting. It was more about missing out on things like, you know, feeling like I wasn't going to social events as much, feeling like I didn't get all that down pat. But you work around that in the finish. Like you just said, you had that 10 days that you sort of had off and you decided that yourself. You said, I'm going to go and see family. I'm going to enjoy myself. And I think that's really great. And what I also loved what you said was about not fearing regain. And I don't think I do that either, because what I know is this being in maintenance now for three and a half years in a range of four to six pounds has been really liberating because there's never been anything else in my life where I've been able to lose weight and keep it off. And that's been the biggest difference between diets and intermittent fasting for me. So for you, what, what do you think is the biggest difference between all the diets that you've done in the past and intermittent fasting? Where is the sort of convincing argument for you? Well, I think the convincing argument for me is that I'm actually for the first time enjoying it more the longer that I'm at it. Whereas like Weight Watchers and all the other calorie counters um, diets I was on in keto, the longer that I was on it, the more steam I lost. And that partly has to do with what I was talking about with that cost benefit analysis, it's just not worth it for me to have to weigh food and count points and count calories and feel deprived all the time. Because I really think that food is something that is meant to be enjoyed. And I, I'm never going to be one of those people who simply uses food to stay alive. Like, I think that food is supposed to be enjoyed with family. And I appreciate what you said about um, not wanting to miss out. I really felt like that too. And what fasting allows me to do is it allows me to eat wonderful food with my family, eat from all the different food groups. It's not like I have a sad look looking little plate and can't have, you know, what everybody else is eating. And I get to do eat as much as I want to full satiety. And that's what fasting lets me do. And it lets me just really enjoy the gift that food is and have a glass of wine and um, I've gotten into the habit of, I just bake bread and make dessert once a week when I have my married kids and their families over. And then I don't do it any other time during the week. So that way 
I'm not baking and eating breads and sweets all week. But one thing that's interesting is I can actually have some homemade bread and a small dessert on a Saturday night and not make it turn into like a giant binge fast. Whereas like before when I was on keto, if I ever cheated, then that all of a sudden like opened the floodgates where I just wanted to eat, you know, all the sugar and all the carb carbs that I could possibly eat. But now I have this nice thing going where most of the week I'm pretty low carb. And then once in a while I can have, you know, a little something and it doesn't trigger a carb bender. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. I think that's great. And I mean, you know, like you said before, you found your niche and you love that doing that with your family on a Saturday night and life's to be lived, Leslie. You've got to be able to make this lifestyle flexible. You've got to be able to make it sustainable in order to do that long-term, especially when you go away on vacations and things like that, you've just got to put it in the back burner because as you said, you've got those tools, you know what to do. You can go back to ADF. I can go back to OMAD. I can do all of that. And once you have that sort of in your head and you can maintain well, I think it really sets you up for the future, that mindset. But you touched on it earlier, the non-scale victories and the health benefits of intermittent fasting, Leslie. And I know you've probably got a few of those. So let's just run through those. Yeah. So I've actually had several non-scale victories and it's been pretty exciting because when I started IF, I never really expected that I would have anything other than weight loss. And I quite honestly just really came there for the weight loss and obviously the health benefits of not getting diabetes as well. But, um, one thing that I've had for about 15 years is that I will get really serious menstrual migraines the week of my period. And usually I'll have one or two that week that are so serious that I'm like lying down in my bed with, you know, uh, something dark over my eyes to block out the light. But even when I wasn't having a full grown, full blown migraine, I always had just in the back of my head, a feeling of a migraine back there. Um, and so each month since I've been doing ADF, they've gotten a little bit less severe. And then in November, I had the very first time in about 15 years where I had not even the hint of a migraine lingering in the back of my head. And my husband even commented that he thought the expression on my face looked different. And so I guess that I kind of walked around with a like a week of my life, which is like one, a week each month, which is like one fourth of my life with like a pain survival face kind of <laughs> because my migraines were always in there to a certain extent. Um, so that didn't happen in November and it didn't happen in December. So we'll just have to give it more time and see if that stays like that. One thing that's interesting about migraines is it tends to be the intersection of several different factors of which the female hormones is only one piece. So if you conceive of migraines as having like three factors, such as, um, you know, the fluctuation of hormones, high insulin and high blood sugar, if you only have one of those and you take the other two away, it's possible that the migraine won't present in the same way it will when you have all three factors compounding. So um, there's another non-scale victory that I have, which is pretty incredible. Um, I have a condition, it's called interstitial cystitis, or IC for short, and it's thought to be possibly an autoimmune condition, although nobody really knows quite what causes it, but it's just a fancy name for chronic inflammation of the bladder. And it's um, very painful. It's kind of similar to Crohn's disease, but not as serious, but it's just one of those inflammation diseases that flares at times. And 
I had gotten to the point a couple of years ago where I was taking this over-the-counter pain reliever called Azo quite often. And I mentioned it to my doctor and she freaked out and she was like, you cannot be taking that more than once a month because it has so much dye in it. It's terrible for the kidneys. But at the time I was just in so much pain that I just could not um, really sleep without taking this over-the-counter pain medication for my bladder. And it's not addictive like Percocet. It was just that I needed the pain relief. And over the last 25 years, I'd visited several urologists in the different cities we've lived. I had CT scans. I had a balloon put in my bladder with a camera on it. I had numerous tests. I had gone on an elimination diet to see if foods were triggering it. I had gone on an experimental drug called Elmeron that did absolutely nothing and, you know, nothing made it better. Um, so I would say that my IC is about 90% better. Um, I feel like a normal person. Most of the time, I would say I still have a few symptoms. One of them is like, um, urinary frequency, which is a sign, um, a symptom of irritation, but that's gotten a lot better. Um, so I just wanted to share that for anyone else who might have autoimmune problems because fasting might be your thing and lowering inflammation in the body is so, so powerful. Um, there's a book called by Dr. Benjamin Bickman called why we get sick. And he talks about how high insulin is really the driver behind so many different modern diseases, these diseases of civilization. And, um, interestingly enough, I mentioned that I took the 10 days off between around Christmas and new year's to, um, just eat more things and not do ADF. And then right after that, I had an IC flare where my bladder hurt and I couldn't sleep. And I'm thinking, okay, that's no coincidence that right after my holiday indulgence, I had one flare, but, um, that's only one, you know, in the last two months. So I feel, and also just having better energy. Um, I don't cook much on my fast days. I normally take, make enough dinner for the family for two nights on my feast days and my family's great about eating leftovers. So it's super nice to have a day where I can be productive because I'm not cooking and I'm not eating. And so it's just like 24 hours or 36 hours where you can just, you know, do whatever you need to get done. And I really enjoy, I feel like that's a non-scale victory too. So lots of yeah. cool stuff. That's really great. I mean, the other thing too is skin condition. Like the thing that strikes me every time I interview somebody and I'd see them on the screen, like I'm looking at you and your skin is so great and you look like you're oozing health. And I always see that brightness in people's eyes and their skin looks healthy. Now, I know on my own skin, you've heard me talk about the psoriasis just basically vanishing in front of my eyes that I've had on my body for 20 years. And I thought, there's no way that this intermittent fasting isn't doing anything. Because even when people sometimes think it's not doing anything, like you're not losing weight or you're not getting sort of results or whatever you want, it's doing something because there's something going on internally in you to clean those cells every day, to give that organs a rest from digestion, there's always some health benefit going on. But that's what I notice about people a lot is the skin. But let's also talk now about exercise. And is exercise something that you do regularly or you're not a big exerciser? Well, so there's an irony here, which is that when I was doing that OMAD for six months and not losing any weight, I was actually lifting weights with a coach. Um, it was a friend of mine who was coaching and we did it twice a week. 
and it was heavy duty because I was constantly sore up until the next time I lifted weights, I was sore again, but I didn't notice any body recomposition. And then she decided to take a break from coaching for a while. And I haven't gone back into lifting yet. And, um, then I started ADF and now I've noticed all this body recomposition and I'm not lifting weights. So it's kind of strange how that worked out. Um, my main exercise is that I really like to walk outside and just get sunshine and vitamin D and clear my mind. Um, I'm not big on going to the gym. I just really like walking. And I was doing that about three to four times a week, starting in August, all the way to about the end of October. Then the weather turned really bad here. We get a lot of snow. I live in Northern Idaho. We get a ton of snow and I didn't walk in either November, or December. Um, and I continued to lose weight, um, without any exercise. So I do think that exercise is a really good thing that people should do. Absolutely. But I just thought it was interesting that I continue to lose weight without exercising. But when the weather gets nicer, I plan to start walking again because I think it's just good for your heart and your muscles and your bones. So Yeah, this has been great. I mean, your support networks, obviously we, we met your lovely husband there before helping us with the tech. And um, also I know your dad's on your shoulder there watching over you on your journey and he's super proud of you. But, you know, what have they been like? You plug yourself into a few Facebook groups and sort of what do you get out of that? Yeah. So, um, I haven't talked a lot about fasting outside of my immediate family, except that when I just started this newsletter, um, about fasting, I went on Facebook. So now I guess the birds out of the cage, so to speak, but, um, there was just a little bit of trepidation with me feeling like people that didn't know me well would think that fasting was strange or it was, you know, just, just kind of like starving yourself or whatever. So, I've been hesitant to talk about it too much outside of my very close friends who know me and know that I'm not crazy. Um, but yeah, my husband's really been supportive and he's actually doing 16, eight right now too. So, um, he doesn't have very much weight to lose at all, but the only reason why he's doing it is because he has a really strong family history of heart disease on both his mom and his dad's side of the family. And all the people who had heart disease got it young and they were not very overweight. Um, and so my husband, he carries all of his weight just in the little gut. It's not even a big gut. And when you look at him straight on, you wouldn't even notice it. But um, a really good marker for heart disease is that your waistline should be less than half your height. So for instance, he's six foot tall or 72 inches. That means his waist should be less than 35 inches. And right now it's 40. And for some people that might not sound like a big deal, but when you have a family history, like he does, that is kind of a big deal. Um, those five inches are the difference between your internal organs being covered and surrounded with fat or not. Um, and that height to rate weight ratio is just one of the best indicators of metabolic health. So he's working on that and he's actually already got it down two inches. Um, and just for people measuring you, you can't go by your pants size because a lot of times your pants are like a lot lower than your gut. So for instance, my husband wears like a size 34 pants and he did, even when his waist was 40, you got to measure the biggest part around there. You can't say, Oh, I wear 34 pants, but anyway, so he's been super supportive. Um, my younger sister, Robin, I mentioned, she was the very first one to do fasting. I have an older brother, actually, his name is Graham, but spelled <laughs> like the cracker. Um, but he does OMAD, um, and he's had really good results 
with that. And, um, I do have to say, you know, I think people and especially moms are really hesitant to do ADF because they're thinking about eating dinner with their family. And I just sit down with my family on my fast nights and they eat dinner and we talk and I drink water and nobody notices and it's just completely fine. And they don't think it's weird. And yeah. Um, in fact, even one thing that I did was I had my in-laws come to visit in October and I just felt like I was really on a roll and I didn't want to take a week off. Like I didn't December. I just felt like I want to keep going. And so my husband told them ahead of time before they even got there, they're like, Leslie's doing this fasting, but it's, it's okay. And she's, you know, she's really healthy, but she's going to keep doing it when you guys come. So they came to visit. I made dinner every night. I sat there with them on my, you know, fasting days and we talked and they ate and everything was good. So yeah, I've had great support and it's really helped a lot. Yeah, that's fantastic. And congratulations to your husband. I'm really thrilled that he's supporting you like that. But we're getting towards the end of the podcast now, Leslie, but I know you're super passionate about this. You love to talk about it. You mentioned you started up a few things in your newsletter and that sort of thing. So just tell us, fill us in about that and what your sort of plans are in the future and, and sort of what, how you like to share this passion with other people. Okay, well, I decided to write a book. And I'm in the process of writing it, but I decided to release it as a series of newsletters. And so there's a website called Substack, and that's a free newsletter site where you just type in your newsletter and it sends it out to everyone who is in your subscription list. And so I'm going to be doing it weekly and it is free and it does just give tips and tricks on you know, what is autophagy and just breaking down um, all of the stuff that you can learn into fasting into something that you can digest in one week. Because sometimes when you read a big book from cover to cover, sometimes you don't retain all the information. And I, so I think it's good for people to have a little bit each week, a little bit more each week to just kind of um, get the information out there and not too much information at once. So that is just called fastwell.substack.com. And if you go to that landing page, you just put your email in and click subscribe and you'll get an email every week. And of course it has the little unsubscribe button that all emails have if you ever want to unsubscribe. But yeah, I really like getting the word out there because I just, I run into so many people who have the health problems that I used to have or they're just, you know, I know so many people that are pre-diabetic or diabetic and, you know, fasting doesn't have the big marketing money behind it that big soda has. <laughs> so it's never going to be plastered on the headlines like, like the other stuff is. So we really need to find alternative ways to spread the word. And that's what I'm really passionate about is, is yeah. uh, getting to as many people. Yeah. I think that's interesting. Just this week here in Australia, we had this big media sort of blitz, if you like, against intermittent fasting and had all these people coming out and saying how bad it is and it's no good for you and all of this. But guess who they're funded by and guess who their studies are funded by? You know, it's not hard to work out. So there's always agendas behind things. You've got to look at things objectively. And we know that we're living this lifestyle and how great it is. But Leslie, if you were sitting around there in North Dakota, <clears throat> it's a nice snowy day and you're snuggled up into a cafe with a few friends here having a nice sort of hot chocolate. And they said to you, hey, Leslie, we want to get started with this intermittent fasting. Where do we start? I mean, obviously you may not say to them, let's start with an ADF, but how would you tell them to get rolling with it? 
Yeah, definitely not have anybody start with ADF. I would have people do two things. I would have them start with 16-8. And the second thing is I would have them learn to eat big meals and no snacks and to do protein first. And the no snacks in between meals is also good for getting your insulin down so that you're not spiking it for eight hours straight. Like sometimes people hear 16-8 and they think I get to eat for eight hours a day which is just terrible. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just focus on having two big healthy meals, protein first vegetables. Um, yeah. And then just fasting for 16 hours. And if they have a goal such as to lose a certain amount of weight and that's not happening, they can slowly creep up to 18, six, 19, five. Um, yeah. And just go from there. But I would really encourage people to learn about intermittent fasting because I think knowledge is the thing that holds people back the most. And that's because we've been fed since the time we were in kindergarten, all of this propaganda about breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And you have to eat six times a day to keep your metabolism up and you need seven to 11 servings of carbs a day from the government food pyramid. I'm not sure if Australia has the same food pyramid that um, U.S. has, but we have this gigantic bar at the bottom of the food period pyramid telling people that they need 11 servings of carbs a day. So you really have to fight that by learning everything that you can so that you can get a different mindset and so that you can know what you're supposed to do. So Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it's important to tell people to nail a clean fast first. That's the most important thing to start with learn what the clean fast is and why it's important. Because for me, it's the foundation of fasting and it's the most important key to it. And then secondly, as you just said, then start slowly, start in your comfort zone, find a niche that works for you, find a protocol that's going to suit your life. You might be a person that wants to eat in the mornings. So you might have a morning eating window. And like you said, learn to eat to that sort of satisfied, but not stuffed feeling. And over time that comes naturally, but I can't tell you how inspiring you've been today, Leslie, and I'm sure you're going to help a lot of people around the world that have been listening to this podcast. And I wish you every success on your journey and sharing your passion for it as well. And we might get you back on 12 months time because I think we're going to hear a lot more of Leslie Taylor. But thank you for joining us here on the Fasting Highway. Thanks for having me, Graham. It was great chatting with you. Great chatting with you too. Bye. Bye. Oh, thank you so much, Leslie. I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with you. And I think you're going to go a long way in the intermittent fasting global community. And I look forward to your passion and sharing that with people from right around the world in the future. I look forward to catching up with you on a future podcast. Also, folks, as we talked about there in the episode, uh, if you do want to stay into a support group, uh, come take a look at the Fasting Highway Facebook group. Over 8,000 people there that are going to help you on your journey from all over the world. So that's the Fasting Highway Facebook community. Come and join us. Also, if you want to read a relatable story, you want to get some insight into what it's like to live an intermittent fasting lifestyle, uh, you might find that in my book, The Fasting Highway. Uh, It's a pretty comprehensive look at my own journey and how I overcame sugar and fast food addiction then used intermittent fasting as a lifestyle to get rid of the weight and maintain that now for some over three and a half years. Okay, folks, until next week, remember, be well, be safe, and clean fasting is everlasting.